Let me ask you a question this morning. What, what do you believe about the Bible? What's your thoughts? What's your, your feelings about God's Word? Here's what I want you to do. If you haven't turned to Psalm 119, verse 33 through 40, I'd love for you to do that. Psalm 119, uh, 33 through 40. Our world has different views about the Bible. Some believe it to be an ancient book of fables, legends, history, moral precepts that are recorded by men. Others, uh, specifically Christians, uh, believe the Bible to be the literal word of God. Every word, literally, the breath and inspiration of God. So what about us this morning? Um, Two weeks ago, uh, middle school, high school students from here got to go to Daytona, Florida, experience beach camp. Um, they never had anything like that when I was growing up. Kind of bitter about that. But anyway, uh, got to go. My family got to go. Got, we got to join them. And, and what's cool about it is our students got to sit under the teaching of some amazing teachers. And, and one of those was, was David Platt. And I loved what David Platt uh, Said he, he said this up on the screen for you, but he said this. He says, "Read the Bible like your life depends on it, because it does." Read your Bible, students. You remember that that are in here that went. Some of you guys do. Read your Bible like your life depends on it, because it does. Do you feel that way about the Bible? Uh, today, I, I want you to simply walk away from here. I told somebody already this morning. If you get these three words today, um, and so you can just pretend this is going to be a three-word sermon, all right? That's all I need to do is walk out of here, and, and if I do these three words, and I got it, okay? And here it is. This is, this is breaking news. This is going to be literally just shocking to you, earth-moving. Read your Bible. All right, let's pack up and go home. <laughs> Read your Bible. Read your Bible. And I pray we learn today, not, not only read your Bible, but, but read it like the psalmist does. Pray that you walk away today and, and maybe just get stirred a little bit. Sometimes we, we need freshened up, right? <laughs> we, we need revived. We need kick in the pants sometimes. And, and I think what happens here is in, in Psalm 119 we get a little refreshing view of, of how we approach the Word of God, how we're to read the Bible. And as a result, that we would walk away, because I think the psalmist does this, and I think David Platt summed it up great, it is read the Bible like our life really does depend on it. Because it ultimately does. It does. Um, and so simply today, I, I'd love for us to walk away reading the Bible, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible, meditating on the Bible, because we know that it is vital for our life. Jesus said this. Remember Jesus, Matthew 4, 4. He's in the wilderness. He's been being tempted by the devil, and the devil comes, and, and Jesus uses what against him? The word of God, and he quotes Deuteronomy, and he says this in uh, verse 4 of chapter 4 of Matthew. He, he says that man shall not live on what? Bread alone, but on what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so the Bible is, is everything. It's, it's, it's so important. And so let, let me do this for a second. Men, ladies, you can chill out for a second. Get back. You got a little shopping list. You just need to update real quick. Just take some time to do that. 
Uh, men, can, can I just have your attention for a second? Because I think my, my fear is you're, you're going to check out on some things this morning. Because some of, us, some of us in here don't like to read. And that is an excuse that many men use. I'm not sure why. I'm not, I don't know if, maybe, I mean, I, I think most of us in here know how to read. If, if you don't, obviously there's um, an excuse there. But, but some of us men don't like to read. I'm, I'm not sure why, okay? I have a hunch it's because you're lazy. And I'll just stop there. If that's the case, then, hmm, <laughs> you probably need to work some things out. Um, read your Bible, men. You can't be leaders of your home if the author of the word is not leading you. And the author of the word can't lead you if you're not reading it. Okay? And so I think, listen, press in today. Okay, if, if you get distracted, if you don't have your fidget spinner this morning, all right, then just focus down, get in the football position or something like that, and like, like coaches talking or something like that, if you need to. That's what it does it for you. Um, but listen, because we've got to be guys that read our Bibles, because the stats show that ladies read Bibles, and guys don't. Ladies study the Bible, guys don't. And so there's something backwards when you look at the scripture and it says, men lead your home, men lead your kids, men lead wives, men lead this. And, and we're not all perfect, and I'll be the first one to say that. But if, if we're not even just giving it an attempt, if we're not just even willing to get out of the blocks, all right, then we need to let the Lord just, just shake us this morning and rattle us, okay? And so guys, read your Bibles. If you need help, may, may this be a day that pushes you to go ask a guy today, say, hey, help keep me accountable. Or help show me how to read it. Uh, but you're going to get a little help with that, I think, today too, because the psalmist just shows us how. Um, but Psalm 119, a beautiful poem. It's a poem of celebration. It's a poem of uh, complexity as well. It's the longest chapter of the Bible. What's interesting in Psalm, you also have the shortest, Psalm 117. Um, Psalm 119 has 22 sections. It's the most interesting, I think, of all the, the chapters we have. It's divided by uh, the, the Hebrew alphabet in, in order, um, beginning each verse that begins the section uh, with that Hebrew uh, letter. Uh, it has eight verses in each section, and, and it's so interesting how it's just put together. Um, that's why C.S. Lewis said this about Psalm 119. He says, it's a piece of embroidery. It, it's done stitch by stitch in the quiet hours for the love of the subject and for the delight in leisurely disciplined craftsmanship. And so what he's saying is this, this psalmist who's writing this loves the author. And that's what the Bible is, is really about, is that you and I just wouldn't love pages, right? But that we would love the author of these pages, God. And so this is put together so beautifully. And I want to encourage you today, um, also something to kind of help you tomorrow on the, uh, online, we have these online readings, and we've been going through Psalms. And, and tomorrow, we begin Psalm 119 
uh, for 22 days. Uh, the elders have written and some other members have written on Psalm 119. So tomorrow you can go. In fact, Dan Davidson writes Mondays, and so you can go tomorrow and, and read his, and, and uh, it's up there, and, and you can read that tomorrow morning and just follow along. Just be encouraged, because what Psalm 119 does is it encourages us to read the Word of God. I'll be honest with you, sometimes this is, this is where I go when I'm kind of dry on reading and just kind of excited about reading. I go to Psalm 119 just to get stirred and to say, okay, Lord, stir me like the psalmist is stirred. And it's a great place to go to and have that happen. And so let's do this this morning. Look at Psalm 119, verse 33. I'm going to go verse by verse. Okay, real simply, here's what he does. He, he prays, the psalmist does. And it's in accordance with the word of God, and he's asking of God, God to do these things. And so he gives petitions, and then he makes promises. It's kind of this thing. And he also does this. He commits, so he makes a commitment um, first, and then he's asking the Lord to, to do these things that he would do it. So that's key. Isaiah 26, 8 says this, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we eagerly wait for you, for your name and your renown is the desire of our heart. But what does he say first? Yes, Lord, he makes a commitment first. And so here's the deal I want you to understand. This writer of Psalm 119 has a commitment to the Lord, and he wants to follow the Lord above all. So that's what God wants from us, a commitment first. And, and so he's committed to the Lord and so look what he prays as he prays, his petition. He says here, verse 33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. And so he, he prays, Lord, teach me. Um, this is really the heart of the entire chapter. As he speaks of wanting the Lord, Lord, teach me the way of your statutes. Now here's what the writer's going to do, okay? He's going to use ten different synonyms, okay? throughout this chapter, and he uses a few of them here, and one of them is like statutes or laws or decrees or word or promise, commandments, and it all talks about the word of God a, a little differently, but it all conveys the same point, that he here is wanting to be taught the word of God. But specifically, he says right here, the way of God's statutes, Statue speaks usually of, of laws that are, are practiced, and, and the way that he's speaking of is describing the, the pattern of life that God marks out for us. So he's really saying, Lord, teach me your word so I may know how you want me to live, real simply. And so he, he's praying that, and so here's how I picture this. As is, is we sit down, we read the word of God, and, and we don't just read it to say, okay, I'm done, check it off, I'm done, I did it for today, pastor said men have to read, so I, I'm a man, and I just read, and not that kind of stuff. But I sit and read the word of God, and I'm wanting, Lord, teach me, teach me, so that I will live it. That's, the, that's, that's what God wants to do, because this is relational, this is relational, and he wants us to follow. Remember, that's his call. If anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and, and follow me. And so his call is, hey, if you want to come after, deny self. If you want to be my disciple, you've got you to know my truth. If you want to follow me, you've got to know it, and, and he's going to take us along just like a, a shepherd taking a sheep. But we've got to be willing to be students of the word of God, willing to be taught and say, Lord, show me the way that I'm supposed to live. Teach me that. When I was a senior in high school, um, I'll never forget the first day of my senior year, I walk into AP Calculus, and, and I walk into this class. Some of you guys may be thinking, 
You don't seem really like a math guy. I love numbers. I will freak you out sometimes. Not as much as, uh, as uh, Glenn. You ever talked to Glenn before? Accountant Glenn? No? Okay. Glenn McNeil. Anybody ever talk? Quiz him on numbers. The, ki- the guy will freak you out. All right? Anyway, so I walk into AP Calculus, and I walk in, and I start looking at the classroom and start thinking, I'm in the wrong class. Um, because everybody in the class, um, I, I knew who they were, but I never was in classes with them. And there was a reason, all right? Because I'm the stalker, soccer jock, right? And I just want to pass to play. That was, that was just my confession. My kids don't take that, okay? Forget you heard dad say that. But so I was happy with bees, and that's kind of how I rolled. And uh, I walk in there, and I'm like, I don't think I belong here. And then everybody started looking at me like, he doesn't belong in this class. What's, what's he doing in here? And then a week after being in there, my teacher started looking at me like, dude, you do not belong in here. <laughs> and then he came to me one day and he said, listen, he said, with him. He was great, Mr. Dewar, D-E-W-A-R. You're with me, okay, okay, good, good. Great guy, love him to death. So he came up to me and he said, with him. And I said, yeah, he said, hey. He said, if, if you're going to pass this class, he said, I know you play soccer. He said, if you're going to pass and play, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to come in every day after soccer practice. And you're going to have to let me teach you the way to do this math. I said, okay. So I took him up on it. And I don't know how he did this or why he did this, but he would stay. I mean, we, we practiced soccer last period, and we would go long and, and after school, and he would always be, I'd walk in, he was there, and he would just show me and help me and show me the way to do the math. And what he taught me was, he taught me what it meant to be taught. And he taught me what it meant to, to listen and to be a student. And so I could learn how to do that way of math. And I remember when I got my final grade for the year, you know, I just wanted to pass, right? But I, I got a high B, which was like, what? Seriously? And so when you think about this psalm, what's interesting about this, um, he wants to be taught the way of the word of God, not, not for a grade, but for what purpose? Look at verse 33. You can see the end of it. You see his purpose? He says simply, and I shall observe it to the end. His desire is, Lord, teach me the way of your word, how I should live so that I will observe it to the end, that I will persevere, that I will finish well, that I will have a testimony that outlasts myself. He knows that ending well is a consequence of living well and for the glory of God, and we can only truly live well and for the glory of God by the word of God. So we must be teachable. We want to be students of the word who listen to the word of God, not simply to know facts or to gain more knowledge, but as James 1, 2, 2 says, prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. So the end result of being taught the word of God is not just what I know, but what I do. And then I'm faithful to the end. I want to finish well. I'm going to finish well. And so the word of God helps me do that. And then look at verse 34. He says, again, give me understanding. Here, here's what you're going to notice here. He's going to say, Lord, teach me. Give me. And then he's going to say, make. And then he's going to say, Lord, uh, turn me away. And what you're seeing here is a progression of a growing hunger for the word of God 
and for it to change him. And so he says here, God, give me understanding that I may observe your law, keep it with all my heart. So he says, teach me, give me understanding. He's asked to the Lord, God, grant me wisdom. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on what? Your own understanding. God, give me understanding from your word. So as we sit down, we read the word of God. Lord, help me understand this. And here's what's cool about it. I don't know if, I'm sure this happens to you. It happens to me every week. Sometimes I'll read a verse, and maybe I've even read it before, but I'm reading, and I'm like, what's, it, what's this mean? What's this saying? And what's really cool is, is when I go and search, or when I pray, or when I seek, or when I just sit there and meditate and think. And so that sometimes, I mean, can we just all be honest for a second? That's, that's our problem we gotta get over, is we gotta be willing just to stop, be still, and be willing to think as we read the word of God. Because if we just read it through and don't do that, it's not very, it doesn't become very profitable. I hate, the word of God's profitable, but, but we don't let it be profitable in our life. But when we are still, it's like Psalm 46 says, when we're still before the Lord and, and, and know that he is God and we think through the word of God, God starts showing us what he means. And it's amazing. I mean, he starts opening up just all this stuff. And you can read the verse over and over and over again. He just keeps showing you stuff. And, and so when we're praying this, we've also got to be willing to let him help us understand. And, and so give me understanding. Um, the psalmist wants wisdom. So we've got to pray like that when we read the word of God. His heart is that he would, again, observe the law of God. When he says the law of God, probably the... First five books of the Bible or the Old Testament is what he has in mind, but again, it's speaking of the word of God, we would say that. So he wants to understand it so he will obey it with all his heart. So I wanna ask you this, when he says that, what does that reveal about his heart? It reveals a love for God. It reveals a love for God. John 14, 15, Jesus spoke of that. He said this, if, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And so love for God a fruit of love for God is a desire to obey God's commands. And then look at verse 35. He says this, Lord, teach me, give me. Look what he says in verse 35. Make me, make me walk in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. So not just teach, not just give understanding, but Lord, make me walk in the path of your commandments. The Lord doesn't just give us commands of, of do's and don'ts just for the sake of it, Right? But he gives us commands that we might walk in the path he has for us, which is good and, and, and best for us, which is the abundant life. And so the psalmist says, Lord, I want to walk in that path. I want to walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. So do you see it? He delights in it. He'll say in other places that uh, the word of God is, is sweeter than honey to his mouth, to his lips. He delights in the word of God. He'll say things like, how wonderful is your law. I meditate on it day and night. He delights in the word of God. How do you feel about the word of God? I pray God would give us a delight, a delight. There's a lot of things in life we delight in. I delight in Mexican food. I would delight in it breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and even a snack if I could. But... Do we delight in the word of God? Do we delight in God's word? And, and what's interesting here, when you look at this prayer, 
He says, Lord, make me do what I delight to do. That may seem a little weird, but what he's saying here is, Lord, make me do what I like to do. What I delight to do. So, so here's the deal. Romans 7, remember what Paul does? I don't have this verse on the screen, but Paul will say this. Lord, I, I, I don't do what I should do or want to do. And it's kind of the schizophrenic kind of runoff by Paul. And he's saying, I do want to do it, but I don't do it. And this whole thing. And, and he delights to do God's will, but, but the flesh, we battle it. And so we've got to pray, Lord, make me do what I'd like delight to do. And so I delight in the word of God. God, make me do it. Help me do it. And so that's where the Holy Spirit comes in, right? Empowering us to walk it out. And so Ephesians 5, 15 through 18, listen to what Paul said. He prayed for this. He says, Lord, therefore be careful, or he said this, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, help me to walk, make me walk in the path of your commandments. That would not waste my life and walk in evil, that I would obey your word and walk in it as I'm filled with the Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He causes us to walk the word out. And then look at verse 36. Look what he says next. He says, incline my heart. So here he's asking. He says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Lord, give me a desire for your testimonies is what he says. The Lord's testimony is his standard of conduct, his standard of will. And so that living out your word, God, as I do, um, that it would be a, the habit of my life. That's the idea, that my heart would so be inclined to your testimonies that it would become the very habit of my life. And instead um, of dishonest gain or unjust profit, I would live according to integrity and truth. And so, Lord, help me to be truthful. Help me to live above reproach. And Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God produces in us holiness, truth, integrity. It makes us more like Jesus. And so that's what the word does. It, it produces in us habits from a heart that desires to live according to his word. That's why he says in Psalm 19:9, he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. He says in verse 11, I've treasured, I've, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And so that our hearts would be inclined to the word of God, producing godly habits instead of ones that aren't. So God, incline our hearts to your word. Verse 37, listen to what he says. He's saying, do this, do this. And then he's saying, Lord, turn me away from this. And listen to what he says. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. He's saying here, God, cause my eyes not to look at worthless things. Cause my eyes not to work at little g-gods or, or idols in our world. Cause my eyes not to look at pornography. Cause my eyes not to click on things on my phone. That can go back and erase the history on. and Cause me not to do that. God, cause me to turn my eyes away from vanity. 
Help us not to covet. And ultimately what he's saying is, Lord, help me not to waste my life. Help me not to waste the moments of the day on things that ultimately don't matter for your kingdom and glory. I love this. I always think of this when I think about living a, a life that is wasted versus not living a life that is wasted. John Piper in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, begins the book. Um, I feel like you guys have been Piperless for a few weeks, so I had to come and bring it. But Piper says this. He says, this is a tragedy, a real tragedy. He says, I will show you how to waste your life. And here's what he says. Consider this story from the February 1998 Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago. He was 59, the man. She was 51, the woman. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot boat, play softball, and collect shells. He says, picture them before Christ on the day of judgment. As they say to God, look, Lord, see my shells? I mean, let that land for a second. Piper says, that's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. We've got to look at life and, and say, okay, am I living in the fullness of, of what God wants me to live? Am I wasting my time? And, and at the end of the day, what am I going to have to show him to where I say, listen, here, Lord, and he just says, what, what, that's, that's, that doesn't, that's meaningless, that's worthless. And so the word of God does this. It, it turns our eyes from having an appetite for worthless things, and instead it gives us an appetite for things of great value and great worth that ultimately honor and glorify God, that we would live our life making much of him. And the word of God produces such a desire. And then look what 38 says. He says, Lord, establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Your word might say confirm or fulfill your word to your servant. That word, word right there is also the word promise. And so it's very interesting. So he says, uh, confirm or establish your promise to your servant. This is obviously an Israelite who, who is writing here and so I think what he has in mind here is, Lord, um, confirm your, your promise to me. And I think he's talking about the covenant that God made. It was a covenant of blessing back to Abraham. And chapter 12 of, of Genesis, in verse 1 through 3, he gives a promise to Abraham. You remember, he, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation, a, a great people. That's who you're going to become. And, and I'm going to bless you so you will be a blessing to others, and I think the, the psalmist is simply saying here, Lord, establish that, confirm that, fulfill that in me. And so what I love about that thought is when you think about God's covenants with us, what's, what's the point of his covenants is relationship. And I think what the psalmist is saying here, Lord, affirm up my relationship with you, not because God needs the firming, God's faithful and promise, but Lord, just keep me close. Lord, keep me established. Keep Keep me wanting to fulfill what you want me to fulfill. And guess what? The word of God does that. Help me to fulfill your promises. Help me to do that. Why? Because it produces reverence for you. And don't we want that? To, to our relationship with the Lord to be firm? 
for that to be confirmed. It's also the idea, though, I think of this. I think he's asking the Lord, Lord, give me a strong foundation. Lord, give me deep roots. To be rooted in the word of God deeply is the idea here. And why does he want that? So that I would live a life of honor for you. I read this verse last night, and, and one of the things I thought about is, um, I actually started smelling it, which is kind of weird, um, was high school football. I started smelling high school football. You might be thinking, that's weird. Um, but it's coming. It's coming in a few weeks. And, and the reason it made me think of it is when I thought, man, this is, he's talking about deep roots. And, and one of the coolest things um, is last year, the Colony football, by the way, it's the only high school team worth going to watch. Okay, so anyway, I know I'm in Carrollton. That gets a little weird. So anyway, but they have a shirt. Y'all just hissed at me. Okay, so there's a hurt shirt that says deep roots on it for their playoff shirt last, last year. And I was thinking last night, I thought, that's right, deep roots. Not many people who see that shirt knows what that means, but, but I know what it means. It's this. Because you know what's happening during the week with that football team, not just on Fridays. I, I get to talk to them Fridays before game day, but during the week is the word of God is being shared and testified to. Why? Because it's more important there for kids it's the heart of the head coach. It's more important there for kids to ultimately honor God and know what that looks like and know what that means. It doesn't mean all of them do, but deep roots. We don't have deep roots. And that's what God wants for us, deep, deep roots, so that we're not moved easily and drift easily, but we are firm in our relationship with him, walking with him. And so have deep roots. Look at verse 39, two more. He says, turn away my reproach, by the way, Verse 39, if you've slept up until now or you finished that shopping list, verse 39, this, this, is, this is why you came, okay? Um, this is what you came for. Look at verse 39, look what it says. Turn away my reproach when I, which I dread, for your ordinances are good. On the surface, you read that and be like, what? I, that's what I did. And so all week I'm sitting here saying, what, what can we take from this? So look closely. Turn away my reproach, which I dread. The Net Bible, not my wife's Bible, but the Net Bible, okay? You're a little slow this, a little slow this morning. Okay, the Net Bible, okay, says this. Turn away insults that I hate. So it helps us out a little bit. Turn away insults that I hate. You ever been bullied before? You ever had somebody say a word against you that you didn't like? Yeah. You ever have anybody say, maybe it was a coach. I, I, we get to live and breathe out a little bit. Maybe it, was, maybe it was a coach that just constantly on you and yells at you and you're like, what in the world, you know, why am I playing this when I'm just getting berated? Maybe it's somebody that make you feel like you didn't measure up or you were quite enough or you were beautiful enough or, or whatever it may have been. So maybe there's some past things that you've carried with you, maybe presently. Or maybe there's gonna be some things said in the future. And so what the psalmist is saying, I'm there. I'm getting insult. 
They're coming at me. I dread them. I hate them. And so he hates those things. But look what he says next here. For your ordinances are good. And this is why I love these different synonyms that he uses for the word of God. Ordinances. What does ordinances really mean? It's judgment or it's judicial decisions. And so here's what I think he means is this. He's saying, okay, Lord, these people think this about me. They're dogging me. They're bullying me. They're giving me insults. They're making me feel worthless, like nothing, that I don't matter. But God, oh, your ordinances, your judicial decisions, your eternal decisions, your word that matters more than whatever the crowd says. Your word, oh, it's good. And it's the only thing that matters. So it doesn't matter about the insults. It doesn't matter what others have said about me. For whatever reason, they've said it about me. God, you got the final word. And what you say about me matters. That's big. And what the psalmist is saying, where could I go to have that happen? that those things are turned away from me and I'm getting what is the truth about me. He says, only the word. Only the word. And he's been progressing, but look at how he closes. It's kind of his dismount here and listen to what he says in this section. He says, behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. So what is he saying right here? God, I long for your word. It's, it's this hunger, it's this desire that's just building up in him. And he says right here, I long for your word. Why does he long for the word? Because he longs to know the author of the word. Not just mere pages, but he longs to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to meditate on it, because he longs to know the author. And that's what Jesus said. The scriptures, he says in John 5, 39, testify about me. And then as we close, look what he says. He says, I long for your precepts, but then he says, revive me through your righteousness. So, so it's interesting here as we close. I want you to think about this, okay? He says, I long for your word. And why does he long for the word? Because he longs to know the author. But then he says, revive me through what? Through your righteousness. How do we know the author of Scripture? How do we know when Jesus says that the scriptures testify about me, how do we know Jesus? Well, he says right here, I'm revived through what? Through righteousness. The Bible says we are not good. The Bible says we're not right, Romans 3. We, we can be revived. We've been, we can give, be given life, spiritual life, born again, John 3. How? Through the righteousness of God. That's where revival comes from. Initially for us, if you're in here today and you've never come to know Christ as Savior, this is where you begin. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, simply this, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. He put Jesus on the cross. He didn't just do nails and hands and his feet, but he put sin on him. He bore the sin of mankind and he bore the wrath of God on the cross. Why? So that those who would believe in Jesus 
would become the righteousness of God in him. A great substitution, a great exchange happens on the cross. He takes our sin. He takes the wrath of God that you and I deserve. And what does he give to us? The righteousness of God. Allowing us to be right before a holy God. When we didn't deserve it, we didn't do anything to earn it. And he freely gives it to us. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17 that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God shows us how we can know God and how we can be right with God and receive the righteousness of God. And it is by faith alone in Jesus alone. And it's simply by his grace. And so today, have you been revived? Do you have life in Christ today? If not, believe. Have faith. Trust in him today. If you're here today and you know Christ and you're like, dude, I know Christ, but I am weary of doing good. I'm struggling. I, I am barely putting the other foot before the other. In fact, I feel like I'm, I'm taking two steps backwards instead of moving forward. And you feel like, man, I'm stumbling, I'm tripping. God says that he revives through his righteousness. What's cool about it is God is gracious. He desires to pick us back up and tell us who we are. And he says, come on, let me show you the way, let me show you the path. All he wants us to do is to say like the psalmist says, teach me, give me understanding, make me walk, help me to turn away from dishonest gain, help me to turn, turn away from wasteful living. And Lord, help me to long for your word that I may live in honor of you. That's what he wants. So read your Bible, read it like the psalmist, and read the Bible like your life depends on it. Just as David Platt does, said, because it does.